0: Do you know the secrets of making friends? They are so
1: simple and easy. they the Welcome to the Coffee Clats Crew, Sherlock episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino.
0: I'm Christina Lomagino.
1: And today we are reviewing Sherlock season four, episode two.
0: The Lying Detective.
1: Now these are the types of episodes that I get up for. This is when I'm excited to do a podcast. When there's an episode that we just didn't like as much and we don't want to be Debbie Downers and shit all over everything, it's hard to get up for it. And uh, I think we did pretty well, but this is like, Hell yeah.
0: This felt like old Sherlock. Yes. I it mean, had
1: the spark that the last episode was missing.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure if that had anything to do with the directed by. This one was written by Stephen Moffat and directed by Nick Huran. You may know him from other things. Little Black Book, Minority Report, The Show.
1: Which we liked. It only had one season, but... I mean, we kind of liked it. We loved the futuristic part of it. It was lacking in some...
0: I enjoyed but. parts of it, but... It, <laughs> Bigger than that, he did His Last Vow, the Sherlock episode. Which is my episode.
1: favorite Sherlock episode ever.
0: Yep. As well as five episodes of Doctor Who.
1: So he's worked with Moffat and Gaddis.
0: So correct me if I'm wrong. Gaddis wrote the last one. Moffitt wrote this one.
1: Yep, I think you're right. Now, that doesn't mean that Gaddis sucks. You know, we have podcasts that suck comparatively to other, other ones.
0: And he had a hard task. Yes. You just can't help but see the comparison that it's different writers and different directors Mm
1: -hmm. and wonder
0: if that means a lot to how we perceive it. And some people may have not liked this episode. On the whole, it got a lot better reviews. IMDb gave it a 9.7.
1: That's what's up.
0: As opposed to an 8.4 from last time. Still no Rotten Tomatoes scores. They haven't been putting it up for the Sherlock episodes.
1: Hmm. That's rotten. Well... You know what? I should have done this before this podcast. We should have broken down every episode of Sherlock and seen who wrote it, who directed it, and see which our favorite ones were. Maybe we'll do that for the bonus.
0: Yeah, I think we should go through that and our ratings like we usually do on the bonus episodes. Yeah, We can start out with the title of this, which was based on, guess what? A book? (laughs) One of the Arthur Conan Doyle books, The Adventure of the Dying Detective where Holmes pretends to be dying to catch Culverton Smith, the enemy who killed his own nephew. There was a lot of similarities. If you look up the summary of that story, he hooked Watson in to come over and join the case with him by making him think that he was dying based on a poison, the same poison that Smith had given to his nephew. But once he got him to confess with Watson hiding behind a partition or something like that in the room... He brought him out, and he told him that he was faking it. He hadn't really taken the poison. He'd made himself look sick in order to get Smith to confess to the crime.
1: Ah, so it's very similar. And, well, broadly, but...
0: Yeah, in the big strokes, definitely. It's also been said that the character is perhaps loosely based on Jimmy Seville, a disgraced British entertainer-slash-charity fundraiser who was a former BBC icon... And it came out later that he was accused of multiple sex offense crimes.
1: Well, that's very meta, huh? Yeah. Wow. Well, I don't know anything about that story, but wow, if that's true, or maybe it's a coincidence, I don't know, but...
0: Well, they worked a lot of things in. So they had the original story... From Sherlock, they had this guy that they were sort of modeling Culverton off of. And then we had allusions even within the episode to a man called H.H. H. Holmes, who was one of the first documented serial killers. He lived 1861 to 1896 and confessed to 27 murders, but may have killed as many as 200 people. Oy. And it's exactly like they said in this episode. He brought many of his victims to his World's Fair hotel that they dubbed the castle because of its size. And it had secret doors, passengers. It was basically like a labyrinth. And nobody knew how to get through it because anybody who worked on building it, he kept firing them. So nobody would know about the layout, which they alluded to in the episode here with Culverton.
1: Yes. That's why I kept asking you. Why does he keep saying four years, huh? Four years. That's a long time. Yeah, how long have you
0: worked here? Mm -hmm. Anybody that's been there longer than a certain amount, he's got to get rid of so they don't know too much.
1: They don't see the patterns that he may have. I don't know if you can really just get rid of nurses and doctors, though, like that.
0: I suppose if you own it, essentially, you're the money man. And that's what was going on here. In the case of H.H. Holmes, it was entirely his own hotel. So Culverton tells us throughout the episode, you don't have to build a place. You can just find one that's suitable, like a yes. hospital. And in this case, he did that. But he donated enough money to have the whole children's wing dedicated to him.
1: What a creepy fuck. Mm-hmm. He was great. Toby Jones. And, of course, everyone knows Toby Jones is from Wayward Pines,
0: mm-hmm. which is a show that
1: we love. He was David Pilcher in Wayward Pines. He was a good character or thought he was good, but was doing a little bit of wrong. I love the way he
0: portrayed that character. I usually do because he brings so many layers to a character. So for instance, with Culverton here, knowing that he was modeled off of this real life person, you do get not just a criminal, but a creepy vibe from him, even though he doesn't come right out and say that that's part of his psychopathology. It was just his acting that put that under the surface.
1: Oh. I heard in the books, like, he was, the way they described him, it was kind of Gollum-like, right?
0: Mm. Yes.
1: But real quick, because I love doing this, probably no one else loves this, but I always interrupt you during shows. Even if we're at the movie theater, I'm like, that's the sleep. guy who's in blah, 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 and <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Crazy. So let's keep going. But Toby then you Jones. can never
0: remember the name. No. So he's, you're like, he's in that thing With the guy and the girl, and it was really good.
1: I especially love doing that with animated flicks. Yeah. Just listening to the voices.
0: Well, if I remember right, he's been a voice for something before. Very popular.
1: Voice of Dobby in Harry Potter.
0: One of the best voiceovers ever.
1: I love Dobby. We should get for our game room a figurine of Dobby. Yeah. That'd be fun. He was in Doctor Who. He was the Dream Lord. Uh, so I've watched Doctor Who many of times and I'm getting you to catch up on it now. Mm -hmm. And you would have caught up, but I keep stalling for, because I want to watch shows I haven't. You, I don't know, did you like that episode? I liked it.
0: Oh, now I can't remember.
1: That's the one where they can't tell which one's the dream. So the one where his companion, Amy, is pregnant and her boyfriend has like the tail and, The, like, pony, like, rat tail. Yes. In that town, or it's the one where they're...
0: Oh, yes, I like that one.
1: In the ship. Yeah, that was a good one. And he was... I mean, he's been in millions of things, but he had a small part in Hunger Games. He was Claudius Tempersmith. Or Templeton. I may have written that wrong. (laughs) I I tend to defer to you when it comes to names. But he was great in this one. He had jacked-up teeth. (laughs) Yes. He... Oh, man, he was a creeper, and he was... I'm jumping ahead now, but while I have it in my head... So, he was business smart. Obviously, he's a millionaire, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But, you know, in the end, he was nothing as far as wit. Like, to compare him to Mariarty mm-hmm. is, like, no way. Because, especially... I mean, Sherlock was fucked up, in this, and he got him in a trap. If Sherlock was... On his game, he would have destroyed him mentally and just broken him down.
0: Yeah, and we find out the parts that confused Sherlock, we won't talk about this now, really wound up maybe not having a lot to do with Culverton at all. Right. So, But I was very happy to see Toby Jones on the screen. Overall, this is more of what I was looking for when I talked about with episode one having the central villain and that plot that runs through the entire thing, the Mm -hmm. classic detective story, getting Sherlock and Watson back together. All the pieces were there for me.
1: Yeah, it seems like this season, and I'm not complaining, I actually like it, is not about the villain necessarily. It's more about the family, quote Mm -hmm. unquote, of Sherlock, meaning his real family and then also the people he loves.
0: But the villain here was entertaining, too, even if it was only for one episode. Very
1: much so. I'm glad it was only one. I don't know if you would have been able to milk that for another one.
0: Yeah, probably not. But also just the idea of a serial killer. We haven't encountered that yet. That felt like, I mean, we had with Moriarty, but the psychopathology, the profiling, that other layer of what he had to go through here. Yeah. Two more quick notes before we get into it. We had some music notes. One more miracle by David Arnold. Dark Times and Sherlock Back to Work by Arnold and Michael Price.
1: The music like always was good, but what I really loved about this episode was the visuals. And we'll get into that more.
0: You also had a great reference to the speech from Henry V. Act 3, scene 1, spoken by King Henry. This is one of Shakespeare's most famous speeches. Mm-hmm. Which we know by, of course, starting with the lines "Once more unto the breach, dear friends, once more."
1: Dead Poet Society. Didn't they do that, recite that in that movie?
0: Oh, it's been so long; I don't remember. I You're probably so. right, but Sherlock stumbles through different parts of that as we're going through the episode, obviously because he's high as a kite. Hmm. It's actually a very long speech, and it winds up with, I see you stand like greyhounds in the slips, straining upon the start. The game's afoot. Follow your spirit and upon this charge.
1: It's so funny. In our prequel, our prequel? Our pre-episode? hmm <laughs> We had talked about how, you know, the game, the word the game is afoot or the game is on, mm-hmm. was present in this BBC version of Sherlock, but not as prevalent as the book's. Or other Sherlock's that we've seen. Well, they hadn't actually
0: spoken it that much up until now.
1: And now it's like... Everywhere. Yeah.
0: They say it all the time.
1: Which is awesome.
0: (laughs) Overall, I also think this episode was helped by being just a little bit shorter. It was an hour and 30 minutes back to our regular time, as opposed to the hour and 50 minutes from episode one.
1: Yes. I try not to gear the length of the show that much in our podcasts as far as if there was a good length or not, because we're taking so many notes while we're doing it, that an hour and a half is exhausting for us. But it might be, you know, an hour and 45 minutes of Sherlock might be awesome for someone else while we're like, oh, my God, my brain hurts, you know?
0: Yeah, well, it can be exhausting when there's a lot going on, but I definitely felt the difference If it was a good exhausting this time. It was exciting. Everything felt like it moved on pace from one scene to the next. It flowed nicely, yeah. unlike episode one where parts of it felt very strung out and then they flew through other things that I thought were important and it just didn't tie together as well.
1: Yeah, and this one only Sherlock was strung out. (laughs) Yes,
0: (laughs) but that's something we can discuss later. There were a few things that people had to critique about the episode. I don't know if I necessarily agree with them, but we'll get into that all after the plot.
1: Before we go into the plot, this is just something that One of your favorite actors and who was on the Golden Globes last night or two nights ago, Tom Hiddleston, I believe now we didn't do any research, but I'm going going off of the voices. If you're watching it, not on BBC, because I don't know if it's on BBC, Mm -hmm. they do the Master Collection Mm -hmm. before the beginning. And basically there's a voice who's telling you, you know, welcome to the Master Collection. Masterpiece.
0: Yeah. Masterpiece theater.
1: Masterpiece theater. And, you know, he says the people that have put money towards this, because you notice there's no commercials. Sure. So this is the reason why there is none, is because of this masterpiece theater and the people that put money into it. I believe that's your boy, Hiddleston.
0: Yeah, it definitely sounded like him.
1: That's it. I mean, that shit's <laughs> <laughs> fun for me.
0: All right. Well, we do have 18 glorious scenes to get through. It was pretty lengthy with the amount of information we have. We'll try to move quickly. The episode opens in a pre-credit scene with a gunshot ringing out. Sherlock remains distant to Watson, who is still grieving. Watson confesses to his new therapist that he doesn't sleep, but he doesn't tell her he is hallucinating conversations with Mary. Meanwhile, outside the office, an Aston Martin crashes into the garbage cans, followed by police and a helicopter.
1: <laughs> this scene was great. It was very intense in the beginning, a very close-up shot of our boy... John Mm -hmm. we see okay so last episode ended with Sherlock in therapy and we got John back in therapy new therapist new place by the way that house is beautiful of course Sherlock does this so well with the way they juxtapose very deep and and serious segments with something very funny and light Mm -hmm. just juxtapose right up against it and it works so well
0: Well, and we'll go back to the gunshot later, but we have to mention it here in the opening that we see it superimposed as Watson starts to wake up. The gun is firing in the background. Yes. It's still smoking. You believe this is his recollection because he says how he doesn't sleep. He just sort of lies there thinking about it, the gunshot that killed Mary. Mm -hmm. However, that's going to come back in again later and make you wonder if that's actually what you're seeing. And the scene ends here before you see who gets out of the car, and they make you believe that that's Sherlock because the therapist is presently questioning him where Sherlock is, and he's telling her that he hasn't seen him. He's been holed up at 221 Baker Street.
1: With shows that I love, most of the time they are very quotable, and there are millions, millions of quotable scenes In this episode, Mm -hmm. Watson sitting with his therapist, he says, I'm letting my daughter down. How the hell is that? okay?" Mm. And it sounds not that good of a quote out of context. But if you saw it, it was very heavy and very moving.
0: Yeah, well, his performance just continues to be amazing.
1: He also says if Sherlock wants to get in touch, it's not something you can miss. Or something similar to that. And of course, that's when we get that car scene.
0: Yeah, and that's what leads you to believe that that's what's going on, that it's Sherlock. Sherlock. But then we move over and we are quickly introduced to the villain of the night, Culverton Smith, a prominent philanthropist slash entrepreneur who is gathering his close colleagues for a meeting. He tells us one is a high-ranking police officer, one a member of judiciary, one sits on the board of a prominent broadcast... Two work for him, and one is his daughter, Faith. He starts the meeting by telling them, the worst thing you can do to your friends is tell them your darkest secret. If they decide they'd rather not know, you can't unsay it. Once you've opened your heart, you can't close it again. We find out he needs to tell them a secret, but as insurance, he is giving them all an IV drug that his company makes, TD-12, that interferes with memory. He says civilization has always depended on a measure of elective ignorance. And then he confesses he is going to kill someone.
1: Now, they said that it sells mainly to dentists and hospitals Mm. for minor surgeries. But if it's just a memory drug, why would dentists and hospitals need it?
0: Well, we see that it's not really. It's making them drowsy. They're having trouble seeing straight. And a lot of times what happens is you pair something like this with something like an anesthetic, a painkiller. And Mm -hmm. this is how they knock people out when they're going to get a surgery.
1: Very creepy. Like, I'm going to drug my friends so that I can tell them secrets. And I'm under the... I might be wrong with this. I'm under the impression that he does this a few times. A lot, actually. He has a special room in everywhere.
0: Yeah. Probably not with these people because they seem pretty shocked. I don't think they've ever been through this drill before. And yet... In the
1: hospital, there was another room like that.
0: Well, this was... I think this was at the hospital.
1: I think well, at least it was a different room, though.
0: Room that he took Sherlock oh, to later. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. But you're right; he seems practiced with this. What I'm not understanding is, despite the group's protestations, they eventually agree to it. I mean, nobody gets up That's and weird. leaves the, the room the and says, "No, I'm not fucking taking TD12, you maniac."
1: I is it? guess. No, I-
0: they're maybe afraid of him to a certain degree they don't want to go up against this rich and powerful person
1: yeah i was just gonna say i don't have any powerful friends like that or acquaintances so i don't know how i'd act but i'm guessing if i was friends with steve jobs and i was hanging out at his house or his apple studio and like chilling with him you know and he was like hey man i got i want to talk to you guys about some stuff but Check out this. I'd probably do it. Well, it's
0: one (laughs) thing if you're a charming, persuasive person. This is the only area I thought maybe they missed the mark. And I know this is not true of all sociopaths. In fact, there are many that it's not the case. But for many of them, they do have an element of they're very charming, their personalities. They're very intelligent and persuasive and they yeah. sort of get you to go along with things that maybe you wouldn't and you feel okay about it you feel safe about it it's not like you're weirded out or afraid and you definitely are weirded out and afraid when it comes to Culverton smith so i think it would have been interesting to see that side of him getting what he wants because he is a tv personality he's a bit charming people like him they don't know what's under the surface mm-hmm. but It was also a little strange that his daughter was there and she agreed to it as well, although she pretty much immediately has second thoughts because after the meeting, she goes right back to her office and attempts to leave herself a note about it so that she won't forget later. The key thing that he says, which is that he needs to kill somebody and the name of the person, she can't remember the name, and he comes in and finds her at that moment struggling.
1: Creep factor way up.
0: (laughs) And then, of course, we go over to 221 Baker Street, where Faith takes the note to Sherlock in an attempt to get him to take the case. Sherlock looks terrible. He has a tremor in his hand. He's grown a beard. Yeah. He's disheveled. He's clearly taking drugs. We see, I'm sorry, who is the guy? He was part of his homeless network originally. Yeah, I don't
1: know his name.
0: He wound up actually being really smart, though, and Sherlock kept him around for oh, a while. Yeah. He appears to be cooking up his own meth lab or something of that nature in the kitchen. Although later we have to wonder if he was really there. Oh, yeah, you're
1: right.
0: I, I don't entirely yeah, know what was going on with that. But Anyhow, Sherlock is not initially interested in this case at all. He tells her to go to the police. When she pushes it, he starts to try to make some deductions, although faulty ones. He just can't seem to get a read on what's going on with her, and we assume yeah. that's because he's high. He's seeing the words around her in the air, but then it was cool. He's actually wiping them away.
1: Again, I, and I said this last episode, this show is known for this, and they do, they're doing it so even better this season. I love where he's fighting with those, and he's wiping it away like it's, like you're a chalkboard. Like, mm. no, 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 that's not it. It's just the graphics are beautiful.
0: New ways to interact with it. We've never seen him do that before. Yeah. And yet he doesn't let her go. He realizes when she's on her way out the door, he starts to put the observations together and he tells her she's got a gun in her handbag and she's suicidal. So the two of them go for a walk and just as they're about to leave, Miss Hudson comes out and asks Sherlock who he's talking to.
1: Yes, and also that guy said who are you talking to as well, mm. which I think makes it he was real. Actually, he was really there. This had kind of like a matrixy type thing, everything froze when he threw the purse. Mm. And then you saw he was he kind of walked this was all in his mind obviously. He just threw the purse at her. He walked over and looked at it and kind of weighed it. And yes. you saw the grams on the it was
0: like a scale. Yeah,
1: and it went all the way down to zero. So that I didn't know what that meant at first, and then we do find out it's because he was like this is a lot heavier than it should be.
0: Unless Deducing it's my pocketbook. That it's a
1: gun. <laughs> yeah, unless it's yours.
0: Yeah, it was very clever. What was strange is we have seen Sherlock on drugs before, and he's a little slow, perhaps at times. But he was really missing the mark. He he couldn't string two thoughts together. He knew things were important. Like he went over to the window and then he said, "What was I doing here? So I was trying to look out at something, and right. I can't remember." And later he figures out that she has no coat and she's wet and that doesn't make any sense. She said she called for a taxi and yet there's nobody there waiting for her. And eventually, yes, that she has a gun in the bag and that all leads to her being suicidal in addition to the cuts on her arm that he never actually
1: saw. I may be wrong on this, but I believe we always see him on the latter half of his binge, his drug binge. In that episode when we saw him in the drug pen or drug house, Mm -hmm. he was... He was sleeping, so he had already slept it off when he woke up. Mm -hmm, True. He was still groggy from it, obviously, but he wasn't at the tip of his high. But also, I think he ramped it up to get to hell, quote unquote. Right, too much. Yeah, even the guy that he was with, I wish I knew his name. Uh, I'm sorry, guys. He even said, you're doing way too much. And this is me telling you. Yeah,
0: and it could have even (laughs) been a different kind of drug because we saw a syringe in Mm -hmm. his drawer. And we're not sure if he's ever done drugs to that level. That he's injecting himself. Yeah. But I do wonder if it had, even in the slightest bit, something to do with her. And we'll just put a pin in that to come back to later. Simultaneously, we see that Mycroft has been tracking Sherlock's movements, and he's watching him go across the city. So Sherlock starts to go on a walk about town with Faith, and he reveals his deductions to her, how he came to those conclusions. He knew she was keeping a note hidden in a book from a loved one because of the crease, but has recently taken it out, meaning the relationship has ended. It is now on display in her kitchen, which he got from the steam on the paper and the smells. She is suicidal, but still cooking. And yet she has isolated herself. And this is the point where he draws a board in the air. Yeah. And it's an imaginary board, but then he takes the note and actually pins it to it, and it becomes real. And as he's continuing along with his observations, he draws a window on the opposite side that it's facing, talking about where the sunlight comes in. So he knows she lives on a narrow street on the ground floor because of the angle of the light in a small
1: room. That was beautiful. So we got to visually see what he does in his mind in this one. Now, we do visually see it many cases in the show, but this was different. And I'm a visual thinker and learner, so this was, you know, special for me.
0: It was just a completely new twist on something we already know. And again, one of the many reasons I enjoyed this episode, yeah, we know his deductions and how incredibly intelligent he is to put things together. We've seen a little bit of his mind palace before, but not the process of it happening right before your eyes. And it's at this point they see the helicopter observing them and she says, Big Brother is watching you.
1: And he said quite literally.
0: Yes. (laughs) And there we go to, Mycroft is talking to Lady Smallwood, who's still upset that he accused her. He notes that Sherlock is wandering around seemingly aimlessly, but when they trace the route on the map, it spells fuck off.
1: So he's (laughs) still in his
0: right mind enough to know that his brother's watching him and to send him this message. I love that. When they finally lose tracking visuals, Mycroft calls Watson to tell him Sherlock has gone rogue. He then says, Sharonford is secure.
1: Now, before Watson even answers, he's been calling him Mm -hmm. for a while. And Watson is ignoring the phone call from Mycroft. And he's talking to Mary, who's passed away. Of course. And he says, of course it's about Sherlock. It's always about Sherlock. And, you know, I don't want to breeze over this. This whole Mary being part of it, I loved it. Some people didn't, apparently. And it made me, obviously still miss her and miss her even more because she was there and they were reminding us of how awesome she is. She's very clever. She's funny. She can be sad at times, enduring, and sweet. She is able to, in this one episode, pull out all those feelings, her alone, from me, which was brilliant.
0: Yeah, I really enjoyed it too, and we'll go more into this later, but I know certain articles criticized this show because of the lack of... Maintaining any strong female characters, mm-hmm. they say that they're almost interchangeable, and every time one is introduced, they completely negate their point by having them only be important as they are central to Sherlock that it's really his world and everything's about him, which of course it is yeah it's, it's always sherlock. been about sherlock that's really the point of the show. I don't think they're m- trying to make any commentary about females I think it's like that with everybody including yeah. Dr. Watson this world revolves around him but I do think they have appearances of meaningful female characters I think Mary's been one of the first people to ever truly emotionally impact Sherlock and change the course of his life he's, he's still doing his typical Sherlock thing but there are things about the way he's acting in these past two episodes that are very different It's going to take him a while to actually change, but you can see some of those wheels starting to move. And I don't think she was just a manifestation of either Sherlock or John's mind. So you could say because John's hallucinating her, it's really him talking to himself. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I disagree with that. I think he sums it up beautifully later in a quote that he tells Sherlock about the impact that Mary has had on his life, and we will talk about that. But she is now the voice in his head. Yeah. she It's her personality. It's her thoughts. It's what she would have said to him day to day, continuing to affect him. And he doesn't know what else to do without that guidance. He still needs her to help him. And that's why he's continuing to turn to her. And so we didn't have to completely say goodbye to her in one episode. And I think that makes it easier to lose her.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't just, uh, you know, oh, she's gone, never to hear from her again.
0: Mm -hmm. Back for a minute to Sherlock and Faith, who walk all night on the streets. She says he's nicer than she expected, which is going to be a key point later on. Hmm. He finally agrees to take her case because of one impossible thing she said, that her life turns on one word, the name of the person her father was going to kill. But he realizes it shouldn't just be one word. If it's a name, it should be two. At this point, he takes her gun and throws it in the river so she can't kill herself. That's going to be his payment. He says, your own death is something that happens to everybody else.
1: Your own death is something that happens to everybody else. If your life is not your own, keep your hands off it.
0: And I thought that was really incredible.
1: Yeah, I don't think that's something that Sherlock would have said. If it wasn't for Mary dying and him feeling the impact of that. Exactly. He goes on to talk about how, why did they say taking your life? Because who are you taking it from? Mm-hmm. It's not you. You're not going to miss it. You're going to be dead. It's everyone else who loved you. Mm-hmm. So that's obviously, he's been impacted by Mary yeah, dying. And, and this is, again, a part of Sherlock we'd never seen before.
0: Mm-hmm. And then he walks over to the railing, and he's momentarily overcome by the side effects of whatever he's on. It's mm-hmm. here we get a flash to the dog again, Redbeard. And when he looks up, Faith is gone.
1: I was starting to think, and, and we saw the gun at that scene as well.
0: We threw it in the river, yeah.
1: <clears throat> but I mean, we saw that gunshot
0: oh, that we saw yes. when it opened up
1: yes. in the episode. So that's twice we've seen that, which was making me think was the dog put down. I didn't really correlate it as the same gun scene at that moment
0: as what John was picturing you mean in the beginning see I kind of did because like you said he was just talking about taking a life and how it impacts other people so it made me think he's reliving
1: oh yes the moment of
0: Mary's death too but yeah there was a lot of talk about how that could have been it but I wonder if people are putting that onto it now knowing what they do by the end of the episode and I'm trying to remember what I was thinking in the moment of watching it and the visions just keep getting worse. So we're not sure if Faith was ever there now at this point, if he was hallucinating the whole thing. He's really in bad shape and he makes his way home, becoming increasingly disoriented with conversations ringing in his head. He starts to deduce that Culverton is a serial killer and that the words she remembered was actually anyone. He needs to kill anyone the hallucinations on the street quickly turn to those happening inside of Baker Street where he's actually walking up the sidewall of the apartment.
1: <laughs> That's so cool.
0: And he talks about profiling serial killers who have a compulsion to kill and
1: money. So in all these scenes that you just spoke about, I loved how he's in the middle of the road and it's there's no one in the road. Mm-hmm. And through the, all of this walking he did i thought maybe it was so late at night there was no one there Mm -hmm. but in actuality when he comes out of it for a second you see he's causing a traffic jam he's in the middle of the road and everyone's honking at him yeah and then you get a quick blip and then he's back in the in his apartment Mm -hmm. with that guy saying where you been well actually the guy was in the road with him at first yeah and then up there it was crazy yeah he's really losing it at this point This is what I'm starting to think like, holy shit, has he actually gone off the rails this time? Because we've gotten accustomed to him being very out there doing things that no one else could get away with and being almost crazy. But he always comes back to form so quickly that we're like, oh, it wasn't that bad. But this is when you're starting to think like, holy shit, things are actually that bad.
0: Yeah, I think no matter what we find out later, things definitely are that bad at this point. He can't even make his deductions properly. He doesn't even really know where he's at. And I think they did a beautiful job of using the visuals to show you that him walking up the wall. Then he passes out on the couch and you see the words three weeks later sort of written underneath.
1: Oh, my God. That was such a great transition. So it slides up. So he's lying down. So parallel with that is a road with a painting on the road or the the words painted just as if it was the regular words you see on roads. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it says three weeks later and which immediately brings you right back into that scene with the car.
0: Yeah. It gets you completely disoriented right along with him to Mm -hmm. feel the state of mind he's in and then almost grounds you again, pulls you back down to street level, and then we go back out into a normal scene where most normal people live.
1: Yeah. I wouldn't say a normal scene. It's a str- it's a car I race. was going
0: to say, yeah. although the next scene we go to is not entirely run-of-the-mill. The police are continuing to chase the Aston Martin, so we go back over to the other side of that scene, which lands outside of Watson's therapist's office with the cops trying to pull over, who we find out is Mrs. Hudson.
1: Oh, what a reveal. I did not see that coming. She got helicopters and cars, (laughs) and she could give two shits. And I was like, wow, she's got a nice car. And I was thinking Mycroft must have given it to her at first.
0: I I didn't know where she got it from.
1: And she could not give two shits about the cops. And I loved it. She was like, ugh. And she's like, it's for you. And it's Mycroft to talk to the cop. Yeah, just talk to to this guy. Leave her alone. (laughs)
0: At this point, have they all just gotten accustomed to the fact that Mycroft's going to get them out of any trouble they might get themselves into?
1: Yeah, if need be. Well, except for he keeps saying, last episode in this one, he's my brother, I, I can't change the way this works.
0: Yeah. At this point, Mrs. Hudson gets out and tells Watson the story of Sherlock losing it and we cut back and forth to her thinking about it and seeing the scenes unfold at Baker Street to her in the present telling Watson. So at Baker Street, this is where Sherlock is ranting his King Henry speech about once more unto the breach. Ice! Uh, uh, ice! Argue, he's lost it. Where he's it? totally gone! Or close the wall up with
1: our English dead. Set the teeth and stretch the nostril wide.
0: Hold so hard the breath. Build up every spirit to its full height. On, um, on, um, you know, British English is bred better fathers from warproof. And you,
1: good German, whose limbs were made in England, show us
0: here the metal of your pasture.
1: Which I doubt not for the resolve you here so mean and base that hath not no lustre in your eyes. I see you standing like greyhounds in the slits straining upon the
0: start. Waving the gun around and eventually shooting the wall. Many times. And Mrs. Hudson finds him there in his obsession (laughs) with pictures of Culverton pasted around the entire apartment, realizes that he's completely out of control, manages to get the gun from him, turn it on him, and get him handcuffed. And this is where we find them, outside of the therapist's office, with Mrs. Hudson pleading with Watson to help him. She opens the trunk and, and reveals Sherlock inside.
1: Mrs. Watson was awesome in, the, in this episode specifically. She's pivotal to pushing the story forward. And I love the way she was tricking him into forcing him to go outside and saying, if, if I brought you to Sherlock, would you... Speak to him? Would you talk to him? Mm-hmm. And then right away she opens the trunk. Now Sherlock is all kinds of fucked up. I mean, he's already he's high, but he's been in that chase in a trunk tied up.
0: Yeah, we don't even know for how long.
1: And so you know he was knocked around in there. And it's so great because she's over, she's basically overpowered him physically, and she's overpowered John mentally mm-hmm. to get what's needed. She just really shines in this one.
0: She stepped up and taken control because Sherlock and Watson can't get their shit together and neither one of them are managing to speak to each other and yet they're both in very dire condition and she knows that they both need each other equally bad and the case needs them to be together working on this to, to solve it. We also get a, a blip here where while this is going on, the therapist takes Watson and shows him that Sherlock has publicly accused Culverton of being a serial killer on Twitter. Mm -hmm. So we find out that, you know, while all this has been going on, he's been getting back on the public sphere. He's actually been writing on the blog again. He's been tweeting again. And Watson's really surprised about this because this was always sort of his part of the operation. I don't know how he feels about that, but you would imagine... He's a little taken aback because he couldn't get Sherlock to even come up with names before of what they were going to call the cases. So it works. Watson agrees before he really knows what he's getting himself into, but now they're stuck in it and they all go into the therapist's office together. As a cute side note, this is where Sherlock starts drinking the vase water.
1: Oh my God. (laughs) Hilarious. I love it. He walks in and he just grabs the flowers and like, mushes them, mm-hmm. pulls them out, and then is drinking from the vase.
0: And it, he says something about it tasting bad. The water doesn't taste right.
1: Yeah, later <laughs> on in that scene, he goes, can I get a new glass of water? This one's filthy, <laughs> as if it's their fault. God. <laughs> it's so great. Like, I bet Cumberbatch had so much fun shooting this episode.
0: Oh, I'm sure. And John privately wonders to Mrs. Hudson how she can afford that kind of car, And she responds that she's been the widow of a drug dealer. She owns property in central London. And for the last time, she is not not a housekeeper.
1: Beautiful way to leave the scene. Right there.
0: She accomplished what she needed to.
1: She came in, she conquered, put a little stamp on it, and bounced. Even Miss Hudson even says the game is on.
0: Yes. She tells him to buck up. Yeah. And at this point, much to John's shock and annoyance... He finds out Mrs. Hudson's arrival with Sherlock, the car sent by Culverton Smith, and Molly Hooper's arrival with an ambulance were all prearranged to get to the therapist's house at that exact time by Sherlock weeks prior.
1: Yeah, two weeks ago.
0: In fact, before John had even chosen a new therapist.
1: Molly Hooper, he did everything. Mm Mm-hmm. Insane, he knows. I mean, he does break down how he figured it out, but still, even breaking it down, it's like a magic trick. That even shown, you're like, Wow, how still, how do you do that?
0: Yeah, we're actually going to find out later in this scene by Mary exactly how he did Mm -hmm. it, but he does tell him a little bit about it here, and John is just completely amazed. Down to he knew that John was going to insist that he get looked over mm-hmm. because he's clearly been on drugs. He's a mess. So he called Molly, told her to get there with the ambulance so that while Watson rides in the car that Smith sent, he can ride with Molly and get looked over.
1: Yeah. He needed a second opinion. And who's he going to ask Molly? Mm-hmm. I love that. Another quotable section. Sometimes can I borrow your car? No.
0: <laughs> oh, poor John. <laughs> you can't get anything he wants. Well, Sherlock tells John that even though he's a mess and in hell, by the way, this was a great Mm. foreshadow to later, he's not wrong about Culverton, who is an evil monster that must be ended, and he can't do it alone. At this point, Watson grudgingly agrees, and Sherlock goes with Molly in the ambulance to be examined, while John gets in the car where he talks to Mary, and she explains how Sherlock figured out who the therapist would be. The basics boil down to it was the first available lunchtime appointment with a female therapist within cycling distance of Watson. It was at this point I was wondering, is Watson really just thinking all of this? So is Mary a projection of his own mind and he's actually figuring out the clues of how Sherlock did it and put it together? Yeah. Or is this something Mary would say and it's only because he has her... Voice still in his head, but
1: he would still need to figure it out of himself. To absolutely, have that I mean, he deduces a few things this episode, and I'm like, oh shit, mm-hmm. he's got the Sherlock fever.
0: They all arrive at the studio to meet with Culverton. Getting out of the ambulance, Molly says, "If Sherlock keeps going this way, he only has weeks to live." And it's here that we realize he. It really has gone too far. Regardless of why he's trying to do this, he's actually physically in horrible shape, even though he immediately says to Watson, it's all part of the plan. They go inside and meet with Smith, who is filming a commercial with the tag, I'm a serial killer. At this point, I was very weirded out. I was like, okay, this is beyond bizarre. How does this guy, <laughs> even if he's a philanthropist and an entrepreneur and making tons of money, how does this fly with anybody? It's clearly a rebuttal to p- what Sherlock has been putting out there publicly right. about him, but it's very strange.
1: Well, he's got the money. You can just tell them to film him and do a commercial I for guess his own so. product. And it's kind of his, it's pretty smart. Always calling me a serial killer. Well, I'll I'll flip it. And I'll actually say I'm a serial killer with my cereal.
0: Yeah, but it was so creepy. How is that going to oh, yeah. help him? Right. <laughs> I don't think well, that be- helps his image.
1: Well, what it did was it made everyone think it was part of his campaign for the right. cereal.
0: Right, right. He now takes them to the hospital, where they go to the new wing, which he has donated money to, so it's named after him. To meet with a group of children. As a little note here, no one is very excited about John.
1: Yeah, everyone claps for for Sherlock, and then when they introduce John, everyone's like, Yeah. That's so bad for him. I was like, come on.
0: On the way in, the nurse doesn't even believe him when he keeps trying to tell her, it's my blog, I'm John Watson. She's She's like, like, no. (laughs) And then even when she realizes it is actually him, she's like, oh, but it's Sherlock's blog. And he's taking all the credit for it.
1: Yeah, but then she says... It's kind of gone downhill lately, hasn't it? And that's when Sherlock is writing, so. But she doesn't know that. No, she doesn't.
0: (laughs) Oh, poor John. During this session with the children, first Sherlock tries to stumble through talking about the case, but then Culverton starts asking questions and hinting at being a serial killer. He asks Sherlock how you catch one. Sherlock says serial killing is an expression of power evil signature of human destruction it requires only plain sight and they are easily profiled but culverton points out that that's only the dumb ones the ones that get caught those that are both rich and powerful are untouchable so he makes references to the queen here for instance if she were to commit a crime she probably wouldn't be caught as easy not a majesty money power fame Some things make you untouchable. God save the queen. She could open a slaughterhouse and we'd all probably pay the entrance fee. No one's untouchable.
1: No one. So this whole scene was very strange. One, we see that Sherlock is really out of sorts. I'm still thinking at this point, like, he'll turn it on when he needs to. But he can't even tell the kids about any of their cases because he keeps naming them right away he's trying to like see see if you can figure this out and he's like says the hanged man was you know yeah you can like, see you the drugs
0: man. wearing off but he hasn't quite gotten there yet now yeah. i think did they give him something yet when he gets to the hospital they do give him a pep shot of something that i, I don't know if it's supposed to reverse the effects or get him together more if oh, i don't remember that but uh, yeah, he's, I think he's still dealing a little bit with the after effects of whatever drugs he was on. Plus, he's always just super socially awkward. He doesn't know how to deal with regular people, much less children. So, Watson's watching all of this, like it's very funny. But then, once him and Culverton start going back and forth,
1: Oof. it gets creep again.
0: The room just goes silent. Everybody's tense. These are
1: kids, sick kids. Um, the nurses there, they're even freaking out or shocked they're going back and forth about being a serial killer. Mm -hmm. Culverton is basically saying, like, it's easy to be a serial killer. The people that get caught are stupid, and he would do it right. That's how I read it.
0: Yeah, and he's even using the Queen as an analogy, and it looks like at one point the kids are starting to wonder because he then says, oh, I'm not trying to say the Queen has done anything wrong, and he tries to write the whole thing off as a joke, but nobody's buying it. They sort of very tensely give a round of applause and try to break it up.
1: And now Watson believes.
0: He finally gets it. You see the look pass between him and Sherlock and the game is really on at this point.
1: The game is on. And Mary even says, do you still miss me? I thought that was great because she didn't say it like she's jealous or anything. She was more like saying, I've been pushing you. This is what you need. See, do you even miss me now? This is what you need. Not to dwell on me.
0: And then she disappears very quickly, showing that he doesn't need her as much right now, not when he's in the thick of it.
1: Now, while we're talking about Culverton, I did forget to mention a couple of his quotable sections. And this is the opening of the episode. He says, if life is a balance sheet, which I believe it is, then I am in credit. Hmm. (laughs) This is someone, obvious, who is dealing with something bad that he's been doing and rationalizing it in his head and his rationalization is money I've given to so many charities that wouldn't even exist if it wasn't for me so I deserve I deserve what to take lives now because I'm in credit
0: well I think he's going to explain all of that later it's more like later on how bad will he be punished for it because he explains that he doesn't really care one lick about human lives he likes to break them down so they become things and he can own them as well It's a very sociopathic way of looking at the world, that there really is no level of genuine empathy for anyone. And that's why I think his interaction with Sherlock later in the hospital room is pretty amazing, and we will get to that.
1: So throughout these scenes, this is when you're seeing Culverton say, you've been working here for four years. That's a long time. Mm -hmm. Four years. And now we know why, because of H.H. Holmes.
0: He shows them the private meeting room with the TD-12 drug. Sherlock says that help will arrive in 20 minutes, so Culverton should say his goodbyes.
1: He's starting to get his cockiness back.
0: Culverton wants to show them to his favorite room, which turns out to be the mortuary. And he explains he can go anywhere in the hospital because he was given a set of keys. This is where he describes about H.H. Holmes to them, who was active in Chicago and built this hotel to kill people, complete with a hanging room, and a gas chamber. And he just found himself a hospital because that's much easier. It already has a mortuary.
1: He's basically telling them straight up.
0: Yes. And I think Watson even says at this point, are you confessing? That's right. So he has to turn him too. This is how he plays the game. He tries to make Watson believe that Sherlock is paranoid and too high to know what's real. Sherlock counters this by saying Faith will be there within minutes because he texted her from Culverton's phone. That's what he was doing when he took it before. He thinks Culverton will confess because he cares about Faith. Boy, is he wrong. When she arrives, she admits she doesn't know Sherlock. She's never seen him before.
1: Record skip. What did you feel at this moment?
0: (laughs) Well, I knew they were trying to fake us out because this is the way Sherlock episodes work, that they were trying to make us think that He's crazy. He's losing it. That conversation that he had with Faith never happened. He was drugged out of his mind and too high to realize. But I knew it was too early in the episode for that to be true, that this was a hook, and they were trying to sway Watson's opinion, and thus they were going to sway us. What got me a little concerned was when Sherlock himself started to look like he was crumbling.
1: Oh, yeah. He tried to go into his mind palace. He did that hand thing. So, hands on his head and then he flicks his wrists. I love the way he does that. And then normally you go into his mind palace. Nothing happened. Mm -hmm. And he couldn't get in there.
0: Normally, if it's the world trying to break down Sherlock, he's still there looking confident, saying they're just trying to take me down a peg, much like when Moriarty tried to smear his name publicly. Right. But it didn't work. Here, he is really in danger, And that's what actually finally made me wonder how this could be. It's a different person than the one who visited him at Baker Street. This is not the faith he saw that night. So who was it that he was meeting with that begins to raise that question in our heads? Culverton begins laughing maniacally at Sherlock, and that really seems to be hammering in the final nail.
1: Trippy. You know, some would say it was this moment where he lost his faith. Stupid.
0: (laughs) Oh, I have to say I think this was some of Toby Jones' best acting at this part in the scene where he's just laughing crazy in the background. It was really compelling and convincing. Sherlock begins to become very unstable and frustrated. He starts accusing Culverton of picking up the scalpel, but then turns to see it in his own hands. At this point, it becomes mixed with scenes of Lestrade questioning John later about what happened in the room. And he's describing the rest of the scene to him and Watson telling him they should have seen it coming because he shot Magnuson not that long ago. Mm-hmm. So this is, again, really making you question Sherlock. Yeah,
1: because I'm now I'm saying, sh- maybe I should have seen this coming. Mm-hmm. And maybe I shouldn't have passed over the fact that he shot some dude in the fucking head.
0: But he was being Sherlock and he was confident then. It's him losing his confidence in this moment that's got me really scared. And this final scene really did it because they go back over to Watson first subduing him, but then continuing to beat the shit out of Sherlock until the orderlies come in to stop him. And Sherlock says, it's okay. He can do what he wants. He's entitled. I killed his wife. And Watson says, yeah, you did.
1: Now, we've seen Watson freak out on Sherlock, but not this bad. Mm -mm. And Sherlock just let it happen. I mean, his face was really knocked up. This was what Sherlock wanted to say to him this whole time. Mm -hmm. When he wanted to speak to Watson and, and say, I think, when he went in the end of last episode to go speak to him. He wanted to say, I know this is my fault. I'm terribly sorry. And he was able to say it here. And you can... Feel and see Watson's heart drop once he says that.
0: It's like making his amends, like when he came back and Watson found out that he wasn't actually dead the two years he was gone. Yes. And he allows Watson to continue punching him in Mm -hmm. the face as they get thrown out (laughs) of one establishment after the next. He's going to let him wail on him until he feels better because this is the easiest way for Sherlock to get past it. He doesn't actually have to talk about his feelings. Let's just let John beat the shit out of me for a while and then we'll both feel better about it. (laughs) So that scene follows into a news report. Later, them talking to Culverton, who says he will not bring charges against Sherlock. They are currently treating him at the hospital, and it's Watson that saved the day.
1: Right there, I was like, "Shit, he's at Culverton's hospital." Mm-hmm. And I was thinking the worst. I was like, "They're gonna drug him. They're gonna fuck with his head. They're gonna make him go crazy." I thought they were So at this point, I thought maybe that this villain will go on to next episode, mm-hmm. and this would be the culmination of what he does to Sherlock's head in the hospital that really breaks him. and
0: Yeah, I can see that. And they keep the suspense going because you only have a brief scene here where Sherlock is admitted, and they say he should pull through. He's unconscious at the moment. And then Culverton sneaks in through the secret door later that night and watches Sherlock Ooh. as he sleeps.
1: He's with you when you're sleeping. <laughs>
0: Meanwhile, back at Baker Street, Mycroft is trying to figure out what drove Sherlock off the rails. His spooks investigate the drug lab in the kitchen. And Watson wants to know who Mycroft was talking about when he said, it didn't matter last time and it won't matter with Sherlock. He says he knows Sherlock isn't his only brother.
1: So this is, again, Watson being Sherlock-esque and being like, what did you mean it didn't matter last time? Uh, slip of the tongue. (laughs) And then Mary's like, he's lying. And he's like, you're lying.
0: Yep, he's piecing it together.
1: And then he deduces, Sherlock's not your only brother. How does he deduce that from there? That's crazy.
0: Well, Mycroft has let a couple of things slip, and we'll get to that later, how clever the wording actually was. They get distracted here, because Mrs. Hudson breaks in to set Mycroft straight about Sherlock. She says he doesn't understand him, that he's actually more emotional than mental. That's why he's always stabbing the wall when he's working on cases, shooting things. His feelings are getting the better of him. He's not cold the way Mycroft is. Mm
1: -hmm. The badass that she is, she says, get out of my house, you reptile, Mm. and gets everyone out. You know, knowing Miss Hudson can be this way Makes it all the more endearing the way she is with the two of them mm-hmm. in season one, two, and three, and the beginning of uh last episode. She's so sweet to them. And you think, you chalk it off as like an old woman who has nothing better to do. Mm-hmm. But she actually loves them and, and uh, she takes care of them. She fights the fact that she doesn't want to be the housekeeper, but she wants to take care of them in her own way, but not make it where it's expected you know
0: but now seeing that
1: she can be such a badass bitch you know a b-a-b and i mean bitch in an endearing way (laughs) she
0: she never yells at them no matter what antics they're getting up to they're ruining the house half the time she's very sweet to them but if it requires she will really stick up for them and She has seen through Sherlock and Mycroft in a way that nobody has, and she actually makes Mycroft, I think, think twice. Oh, yeah. About how different the two of them might really be when it comes down to it.
1: And the red car, bright red sports car, that tells you something about her personality.
0: Yeah. And of course, this is also when they find the DVD from Mary and that's what prompts her to kick everybody out of the house, saying that Watson is still grieving and this is something that he has to do without them there. So they watch the DVD, the part that we missed in the last episode. And of course, Mary's speech runs through the next couple of scenes, but we'll give it all right here. She says, there's no one else. It's up to you to save him. In order to do that, you need to know about him and what you'll need to do. John never accepts help, but also never refuses it. He won't allow himself to be saved. The only way to do it is to make him save you. Go to hell, Sherlock. Go right into hell and make it look like you mean it. Pick a fight with a bad guy. Put yourself in harm's way. If he thinks you need him, I swear he will be there.
1: Last episode, we were talking about what could you mean by go to hell? We were thinking maybe he was dreaming that. Coming up with the worst answers, but...
0: (laughs) I thought it could have even been a joking sentimentality at the end of it. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, go to hell, Sherlock. And she did actually mean it in a completely different way, but dead serious that she wanted him to walk into hell. And that's what his reference meant earlier on when he said he's in bad shape, he's in hell Mm -hmm. right now. He had to make it look that bad that he needed John's help. He was going through this awful thing, and this is where it goes back to the original, the case of the dying detective. He was making it look to Watson like he was physically dying. You find out later he had rubbed Vaseline on his skin. He had put dark stuff under his eyes. He was making it appear as though he was on the brink of death, whereas this Sherlock has actually almost put himself on the brink of death for the sake of trying to get Sean to rescue him.
1: Now, we should have known this looking back. We should have known that Mary wouldn't just say save him and not have a way to save him. Yeah, well, we
0: knew there was more to this, that we hadn't seen the whole DVD or the whole part of the picture, but I guess I just never put it together. It does make a lot of sense that Watson needs to feel like he's needed.
1: Yeah, she breaks it down for
0: us. It is always about Sherlock, and he is always the smart one, solving the cases, getting the credit for it. I think this is a lot of what they were setting us up for where Lestrade kept saying last episode, what is the point of you guys giving me the credit for helping when they're going to go on the blog and they're going to see that it was all you anyway? It's stupid. It just makes me look like I'm pining for attention. Yeah, This is going to be a very stupid analogy, but it almost made me think of Harry Potter, where he's always in the limelight and Ron is sort of in the background, and yeah. even though he's helping out, he never gets any credit for anything. Thinking about people like that, eventually that must get to them.
1: It did to Ron a couple of times.
0: So this is kind of the weak point for Watson. And he, part of his relationship with Mary was he had to feel like she needed him too, as independent as she was. Mm-hmm. This is her advice from everything she's learned for Sherlock to do that. And he has put this into effect in a very big way. To the end of the scene is Watson calling Lestrade to say Sherlock is in trouble and then racing out. While he's on his way, Sherlock wakes up to Culverton, who tells him he came in through the secret door he built. Because, of course, he built the whole wing and, as we know, kept firing everybody, just like H.H. Holmes. Sherlock says he wants Culverton to kill him by increasing his meds to fatal levels. He does this, but first he makes him say he is scared and he doesn't actually want to die. In fact, he makes him repeat it several times.
1: Yeah, first he makes him say, I want you to kill me, and then reverse it, I don't want to die, I don't want to die. So it's almost like he's getting off of, you know, there's a lot of serial killers who get off the crying and the screaming, Mm -hmm. and it's not enjoyable if they're not freaking out about it.
0: If this was Sherlock's plan all along, it's not fun for him so he doesn't care that Sherlock might actually want to die, and he's requesting this of him, or want him to kill him, rather, but he needs to hear that he doesn't really want to die. He wishes he didn't have to, but for whatever reason, this is the case. So, yeah, he makes him say it three times, and Culverton admits that he kills because he likes to make people into things so he can own them, but of course he starts getting impatient. He can't even wait for the meds to kill him. He starts to smother him. It appears as though Sherlock is dying, as finally Watson and the police break into the room. Sherlock calms them down a little by saying he switched the IVs, he's not really overdosing on the medicine right now, and he has hidden a recording device in the cane that Watson left behind. So while Culverton swept the room and found three other recording devices, he didn't think to look in the cane. He says they always give up when they get to three.
1: So I don't understand, was this nurse on culverton's side because the guard who's outside hears something and is trying to get in but it's locked and then we see the nurse come and go oh is it stuck is it locked again this always happens and then when we saw watson run in Mm -hmm. no one's at that door so i'm wondering if she was there to deter the guard could have been but he, that she's one of the people that he was like, you've been here four years or six, whatever that one was for her.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I'm wondering that. We, we forgot to say that Watson got to drive the red car,
0: <laughs> which is awesome.
1: <laughs> it's putting a lot of faith in the fact that Watson would be there on time or even come.
0: Yeah, well, I don't think it was part of the plan for Culverton to start strangling him. Mm-hmm. He thought it was going to be the meds, which he had switched out, so he wouldn't actually be harmed by that. Oh, true, yeah. But he got impatient, and it really did look like Sherlock was on the brink of passing out by the time Watson got there. But, I mean, we know that his deductions work down to the fact that he planned everything at the therapist's office two weeks in advance. And it all came together right as it should. He has every confidence in himself. Sure, we've seen it not work out, like with Mary, but this was that important, that he was willing to risk all of that. I think it's more dangerous what he's been doing to himself by taking these drugs for God only knows how long that Molly said he's on the brink
1: of death as is. I think he kind of enjoyed it too, though, as a drug addict.
0: Yeah, we'll definitely get into that. But sure, Watson does break in at the right moment, and he does save the day, but he finds out it was all planned. Mm. Right down to Sherlock hiding the recording device in the cane.
1: And Watson figured that out. He was the one that went and grabbed the cane. So he, another thing he figured out.
0: You'd think he'd be furious, though, when he finds out this is all staged. It was like a fake saving. I didn't really do anything. You planned it all from the beginning.
1: Uh, Yeah, except for the fact that he just saw Mary tell him to do that. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what made it where it softened the blow.
0: It was endearing that he was willing yeah. to go through all of that for him. Exactly. Culverton is not having a bad time of it all at all. In fact, he says confessing feels good as Lestrade takes him down to the station and he just starts pouring just, out yeah, everything. <laughs> Thank yeah. goodness, that must have been Sherlock's plan too, because later he says he doesn't think any of the recording will be admissible because it was entrapment, him putting it in there. Mm -hmm. But the fact that he's now confessing to his heart's content equals that all out. And that goes back to the original story with the dying detective, where I think he had hidden some kind of device within the room or something... But Smith says that he can't use it. And it's at that point that Watson actually pops out from behind the corner and says, yeah, well, we can't use that. But Watson actually heard the whole thing. So he's a witness. And now they have testimony against him. So they Ah. were keeping true to a lot of elements of that.
1: So Culverton says, I'll be so famous now. I'll break America. Hmm. So I guess as a businessman, he can never break into the American economy or culture with his businesses.
0: He Man, thinks this he can
1: fucking loop dog. Spin
0: even this. It's press and that's all he cares about.
1: Do you think he still feels like he is like the queen, too big to?
0: I don't know, he might or it could just be that he'll be infamous now. It doesn't matter if it's good or bad, people will never forget his name. And that's I think ultimately what he's striving for.
1: Oh, what a weirdo. You would think people like this in life, you know, the people around them would know that someone's this fucked up.
0: This is why I bring it back to uh, you would think he'd be getting away with it if he had those stereotypical... Oh, right, yeah. He has charm and, and persuasiveness, but he doesn't. He behaves so creepy that you do have to wonder how he's getting away with all of it. Well, now we come to the last couple of scenes. The first one is back at Baker Street, where Sherlock confesses to Watson that he hadn't anticipated hallucinating Faith. The rest of it might have been a plan, but that part wasn't. Yet he thinks the drugs may have opened up his own mind to discover the solution. He still thinks it was good that he went through that. Mm. Watson decides that he's going to have to keep them off of them now, and confesses he's not okay, but he knows Mary's death wasn't in fact Sherlock's fault. It was her choice. John, do better.
1: You didn't kill Mary. Mary died saving your life. It's her choice. No one made her do it. No one could ever make her do anything. But the point is, you did not kill her. In saving my life, she conferred a value on it. It is a currency I do not know how to spend.
0: That was really intense, how he's honoring her by saying, nobody ever respected me like that and put so much value on my own life, I don't even know what to do with it. It's almost... As though if you go back to the scene in the beginning where he told Faith she couldn't take her own life because of how it would affect other people.
1: Right. It wasn't hers to take.
0: It makes you wonder if Sherlock himself has flirted with that idea of just hitting rock bottom. But now that he has people that care about him in his own life, it's more than just him and he can't do that. And is that part of why he's kept people at an emotional distance? Because he has to be responsible for them too. And he's finally coming to that point where whether or not he asked for it, he's willing to be responsible Mm -hmm. for Watson, for his baby, for Mrs. Hudson. He's willing to let them in, I think. Then they hear the text alert noise.
1: (laughs) I (laughs) smiled right away.
0: Everybody knows the sound of that. It's Irene Adler. And I guess she's not dead.
1: Well, we knew that. Which we surmised. From the uh, end of that of her episode where it looks like she's about to get beheaded, Mm -hmm. and it's Sherlock.
0: Yeah, but they left that on a bit of a cliffhanger as well, and we didn't know if he'd been in touch since. He says he hasn't, but Watson tells him then that he's crazy. If he doesn't respond to her, he should do something while there's still a chance. It's that important.
1: Yes, but you're missing one of the best parts. So, again, this is the third or fourth time that John deduces from the little bit that you can tell or see or hear. And he says, so he hears that text. He knows who it must be. Mm-hmm. And then he breaks it down in his head real quick, and Mary wasn't even there, that it must be his birthday. Mm. This only means one thing, happy birthday. Yes. Because why else would she be texting him?
0: And didn't she say she only texted once a year? At some point earlier when, when Irene was a thing in the story? Oh, Maybe. So yeah, you're right. He immediately comes to the heart of it and he starts revealing about himself. He confesses that Mary was wrong about him and that he cheated. It might not have gone any farther than texting, but he wanted it to and says, I'm not the man she thought, but that's the point. Who she thought I was is the man I want to be. We see Mary one more time as she tells John to get on with it. And Watson breaks down and cries as Sherlock holds him.
1: So this is when he has that big confession. And the whole time I'm thinking, I mean, he didn't cheat on her. He emotionally cheated on her, I guess. But it was like...
0: In his mind, that's just as bad, though, because he wanted to. He was pulled away from it. Emotionally, he connected to somebody else. In his heart, he was already away from her.
1: Yeah. And it was a very deep scene. Martin Freeman does these scenes impeccably. You know, it's it's deep, it's feel. It's heartwarming. You know, he's like, and I texted her when you were taking care of our baby, mm. when you were feeding our baby, when she was crying. And you could see her face. For a second, I was waiting for her face to get angry. I'm like, oh, no, but it's not a real person. It's So I like the way Mary, that's a weird position to be in as an actor. Like, how am I supposed to react off of mm-hmm. this, you know? So I think that was done very well.
0: She had to react perfectly because it was what Watson was picturing as his confession moment and her forgiving him because that's what he really needed in order to finally let her go. He had to confess to his sins to say what she meant to him and how she's changed him and to get back on with his own life. And he was able to make himself vulnerable to Sherlock to allow Sherlock to comfort him And then they were able to move forward, the two of them together.
1: That was the biggest hug I've seen on TV, huh? Yeah. There was so much feeling and meaning inside of that one hug. And Sherlock's not really a hugger, is he? But this was an epic hug.
0: And I love what he says to him in response. He says, it's not a pleasant thought, but I have a terrible feeling from time to time we might all just be human. (laughs) And now they do decide to move on. Watson says that Molly has gotten a cake for Sherlock's birthday, so they're going to leave. He puts on the hat and says, I'm Sherlock Holmes. I wear the damn hat. Isn't that right, Mary? He knows that John's been oh, talking to her all along. I love
1: that. That was so poignant. Again, these last three scenes, There's actually one lar- large scene, but we went from humor to touching and endearing, back to humor.
0: Yeah, well, Isn't
1: that right, He's Mary? not
0: judging him. He knows what's been going on. He's not telling him, you're crazy. You're hallucinating your dead wife and talking to her. I get it. She was an amazing woman, and you needed that. But Mm -hmm. now we're good. Yeah. Right? Everybody's good, including you. Isn't that right, Mary? It all seems right in the world again, but we get one final scene. John goes to see his therapist, who tells him he looks better. John tells her about his life. Rosie is doing perfectly. Sherlock is back to normal, solving cases, and Mycroft is fine, although normal and fine are relative terms when it comes to Sherlock and Mycroft, he says. They cut over to Sherlock at home, finding the piece of paper from Faith and realizing it was real in some sense. When he talks about Mycroft, we see Lady Smallwood giving him her private number, (laughs) which I thought was interesting. And he looks down at his blotter, which says, call Sharonford.
1: Never thought Mycroft would have a relationship going on, especially with that woman.
0: I don't know if it's going to happen, but she's certainly into it. And I'm very interested to see where that goes because I think she's perfect for him. And I'm so excited about the thought of that.
1: Yeah. Well, throughout this whole episode, we didn't really talk about it, but they were having their own little thing happening Mm -hmm. where she was mad at him and like, you know, you never said sorry for fucking accusing me of this and...
0: She's helping him with Sherlock. She knows about Sharonford, mm-hmm. which is a big deal. But back in the moment, the therapist admits to Watson she already knew Sherlock. She spent a night with him, and she is the woman he thought was Faith. Sherlock also missed the big deduction on the letter. Now we see him looking at it under a black light and it says, Miss me. Plus, she was the woman on the bus that Watson went after. Oh, man. So the secret brother is a secret sister named Euros.
1: Bang. Now, didn't I say she was a bad guy? I was like, the woman on the bus, I wonder if she's bad. Mm-hmm. Because it felt too like easy. Okay, a few things. The letter that Sherlock ended up finding that was written by Faith was actually written by Faith. Euros even said a colleague of hers put her in touch with Faith yes, way back in the day.
0: I think it was Culverton after he took the letter from Faith, gave it to Euros Mm. to deliver to Sherlock to get this whole ball rolling of Sherlock becoming involved in the case because he needed him circling his orbit. But that makes you wonder, why did Culverton trust Euros? How did he know her? What is the relationship there? Do they both work for a bigger entity? Are the connections to Moriarty just a way that she's playing with him? Or do they actually both belong to a group that worked for Moriarty and they're continuing this posthumous game that Sherlock was convinced is still there?
1: I didn't see it as Culverton gave it to her. Because why would Culverton want Sherlock in his orbit?
0: Well, two things. So we saw in the scene that Culverton took the note from Faith. Mm-hmm. So he was the one that had it.
1: Right. So
0: how else does Euros get it? Mm. Second of all, we do know that he was trying to bring Sherlock in that he wanted him on the case. He tried to contact him. Oh, that's right. Okay. He was playing with him all along. This was fun for him. So I think he did that on purpose, but what I didn't get was why he would involve Euros.
1: I do want to think that Moriarty has to do with this, but if you recall the opening of one of the episodes, I believe last season, they're all kind of getting mixed up in my head right now. Remember when Sherlock was in like a cave Mm -hmm. and his brother was there? And he was like, you were watching me get my ass kicked. He was wiping out all of Moriarty's satellite networks. So if they were part of the network, he would have known, no? That
0: doesn't mean he knew every single person that belonged to this, especially if it was their own sister who's just as smart as Mycroft and Sherlock.
1: Actually, I heard that she was even smarter. Yeah. It goes Sherlock, Mycroft, and then she blows them all out of the water. Now, we think she was in a mental institute, right? Or something, yeah, well, somewhere.
0: this brings us to our questions. So we're going to jump right to that.
1: Well, first of all, before we do, what are your thoughts on that last scene? The reveal?
0: Yeah, well, this this kind of leads me into the questions and references because the scene ends with her pointing a gun at Watson and seemingly shooting. Right away, I thought there's no way John is dead. That's just not something they're they're going to do. So a lot of people drew attention to if you went back and watched, for instance, the gunshot in the beginning and the gunshot at the end, where you see the gun up close and John thinking about it, it's a different kind of gun and you also see a black sleeve holding it Mm -hmm. where later in the office when she holds the gun up again, it's a different gun and she doesn't have any sleeves on what she's wearing, the woman euros, and then at the scene at the very end, the close up on the gun is like the one from the beginning So I think it's a little play with us here that she raised a gun on him, but she didn't actually shoot it. Right. They also, fans, have pointed to something strange going on because the entire time Watson was talking to her, he was looking at the back of the room. Now, he could have been looking at Mary or there could have been something else going on in that room that we're going to see later. Oh. Remember she asked him, why do you keep looking over my shoulder? And he says, oh, I'm just looking off. Away, She says, I know the difference between somebody looking away and somebody looking at something. So again, these could be obvious things. We're meant to think it's Mary because we're seeing Mary the whole time. But if they're playing with us, I'm sure this is a great way later on to explain oh, yeah. how Watson doesn't get shot. So I actually liked it, but it was heavily criticized by some people who said the second episode was way better than the first. Amazing all the way up until this scene and they should have ended it at Baker Street. This was a cheesy way that felt very heavy-handed to bring in yet another mystery that didn't need to be revealed in episode two.
1: I don't know if I agree with that. I, enjoyed I don't. It. I
0: loved it. Yeah. <laughs> I loved the intrigue. I had the same questions that other people did about Euros, such as how did both John and Sherlock fail to recognize her? So John didn't realize that the therapist was the woman that he fell for right. on the bus. Now she was wearing a wig, but it was pretty obvious the one she was wearing on the bus. And it still looks like her. He's been meeting with this therapist seemingly for a while now.
1: Did you notice? I didn't notice.
0: I mean, I didn't, but I'm not the one who's falling for a woman and then seeing a woman close up all the time as a therapist. I I just feel like...
1: He only saw her twice. That yeah. one time on the bus, and then the next time when she's sitting at the bus stop, when he's breaking up with her, essentially. And that's for a second. So. But
0: how often do you think he thought about her in his mind after that, you know?
1: Mm.
0: It was a little strange. And also, you know, how did Sherlock not realize? Although there are several explanations for that. Such as, A, he was high right. when he talked to this woman that he thought was Faith. B, there's a lot of speculation that he might not have seen her since they were children. Right. So he has no young. idea what the grown-up woman looks like.
1: Yeah, led to believe that Mycroft knows more than Sherlock in this regard.
0: Absolutely. There was a foreshadowing of this. So Sherlock did warn John there is an east wind coming moments before the oh. Miss Me reveal, the last episode. We find out that her name, Euros means the east wind. And Sherlock told John, in his last vow, It's a story my brother told me when we were kids. The east wind, this terrifying force that lays waste to all in its path, it seeks out the unworthy and plucks them from the earth.
1: That's about their sister.
0: So if he didn't know much about his sister, and Mycroft had reason to feel very negatively about her, Mm -hmm. from the time they were young, Mycroft has been telling Sherlock... In this metaphorical way so that Sherlock doesn't know what he's talking about. The East Wind is terrible. He's subliminally putting that in Sherlock's mind his whole life so that eventually when he comes face to face, he has this feeling about her.
1: That's a legit villain, man.
0: Also, last episode, Lady Smallwood asked him if he still speaks to Sharonford and Mycroft said, I get regular updates. Sharonford is secure. This is what made people think that... It could be a code name for her, or it could be a place. If she's right. been institutionalized for most of her life, he calls to check up on her. And I guess in between calls and checkups, she manages to get out and run amok and then get back on time for Mycroft checkups. It's a little weird because Mycroft, A, is super smart and intelligent, and yep. B, has the whole of the British government at his fingertips.
1: And he knows everything that's going on. But he mm-hmm. has been kind of distracted with this girl. His little girlfriend.
0: And with Sherlock.
1: And Sherlock, yeah.
0: And if this is something that's been going on many, many years, and mm-hmm. she has seemed to be staying put and doing whatever, and he just calls to check up. Right. Plus, she's just as smart, if not smarter than them. I guess we could see how that might happen. Of course.
1: When he spoke in The Last Vow about the East Wind, that makes sense because the same director directed that episode. Yes. He
0: was laying the seeds early yeah. on, which I love.
1: Amazing. Laying the seed, Talk about a long game. Laying the seeds for another show he'll do two years from now, <laughs> you know?
0: And this is where I meant to say, if you think back to... Because then I thought to myself, didn't Mycroft actually tell us it was a brother several times? He didn't. He said, remember what happened to the other sibling, mm. which is such a weird way to put it. When you're two brothers, if there's a third, you would say brother.
1: Yeah, but we pass it off as if... It's Mycroft, so he speaks differently. (laughs)
0: Of course. But then another time he says what happened to the other one. Mm -hmm. He never says brother or sister. He's very cleverly picking his words.
1: Which means that Sherlock is aware of something that happened with the sister.
0: You would think so. But then there's also been some added fun to this theory, Mm -hmm. if you will, that it might not just be the three of them. Right. Right. So I know we're getting far ahead of ourselves. We only just found out there's a third sibling, but it could be that there is a fourth.
1: People always stop at three.
0: Yes, it's a little odd that he just told us they always stop when they get to three. Plus, there have been some rumors that guess who will join the cast as a guest star on Sherlock?
1: Tom Hiddleston.
0: Ding, 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 ding. Yes, how amazing would this be? That would be
1: amazing. He
0: would be the perfect...
1: Golden Globe winner. Home sibling.
0: Can't you just see him fitting right into that dynamic? I I want it so bad that I'm going to will it into being. Apparently, Gaddis has been tweeting and laying little hints about Hiddleston coming onto the show. But we also had some big clues back at Comic-Con when there was a picture of Mycroft, Mary, and Sherlock sitting next to each other, each holding up signs. Mycroft said, Thatcher, which of course was about our first episode... Mary said Smith, which is about Culverton, and Sherlock said Sharonford. So they've been playing with us.
1: Weird looks on all their faces, too, in that picture. Mm.
0: There's also been some really even off-the-wall conjectures as to how this all ties into Redbeard. So you were talking before about how maybe the dog had to get put down, and that's why he keeps remembering it. People have wondered what if she did something awful to the dog.
1: I was just thinking that.
0: And that was the first sign of her not being right, and that's why she got put away and institutionalized. And Sherlock has sort of blocked that out. It's a traumatic memory. Perhaps. They've also said maybe she actually did something terrible to Sherlock. And in order to block that, he remembers it being the
1: dog and not him. So we have Sherlock, who is a genius, But with that genius, there's a lot of quarks Mm -hmm. that don't really mesh well with society. Then you have someone even smarter, Mycroft, who is even further...
0: Almost emotionless.
1: Yes. So do you think when you get as smart as Euros that your mind can actually break and you become a psycho?
0: Yeah. I think that the clinical term for it is sociopath because you literally do not have emotions like the rest of people and you don't have any empathy for other people. And I think that's why they chose Culverton Smith as the bad guy in this episode to start laying the groundwork for us to think that way Mm -hmm. and introducing Euros right at the end here. I just think it's beautiful parallels and uh, I think we're definitely going to find that out about her.
1: Now about that scene real quick, because I keep forgetting things. There's so much in this episode, so I apologize for always going back. People have said that it was very, the reveal of it being the sister was very Scooby-Doo-ish. I think that's very extreme.
0: It's the fact that when we first saw her, she was wearing a bogus and very obvious red wig. So it was a terrible disguise, which kind of brings Do you, you think back was a wig? to Scooby-Doo. Oh, yeah. Oh. It was, it was very, very obvious. And then you have her... In the last moment, sort of ripping off her disguise and pulling the gun on Watson, surprise, I'm the bad guy. It was a little bit heavy-handed, but the fact that it was a sibling and it turns out to be a sister and this is a whole twist that I didn't see coming makes me not really care that the reveal might not have been as great as it could have been. I was very excited about it. I can't wait to see how it goes. I... I'm sad that there's only one episode left to have the interactions between these three siblings that we've never seen before. Yeah. So all of this on top of we have to wonder, is Sherlock actually in bad shape? Will this addiction that he's been going through using drugs, he seems to be able to just pick it up and put it down at will, which has been another criticism of the show, that they don't portray his addiction in a real-life way.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. He is master of it, but we see that he really has driven himself kind of into the ground in this episode and molly did give us some dire warnings so now he's back to the game and everything's fine again but what about all the damage he's done are we going to see effects of that later on plus watson still has a baby to care for now they're back in the middle of a ring with a dangerous sociopath who's pulling a gun on watson how is that all going to end And our ultimate question, will it or will it not lead back to Moriarty? So they have a lot to wrap up in the final episode three.
1: They're using Miss Me a lot. It's kind of losing its effect.
0: Yeah, well, that's what I even said in episode one, where it was such a tease of writing to get you to think it's Moriarty. And if you keep playing that all the way through the season, and then it's not, it's going to feel really cheap. And that's what's leading me to surmising there has to be a link eventually. Yeah. And Sherlock wasn't wrong. He just didn't realize how far it went and how many people tie into Moriarty's game. That's the only way I could see it being satisfying at this point. And so the appearance of Euros also makes us bring back into question the final criticism that we spoke about earlier, which is about the interchangeable female characters. Mm -hmm. So, of course, I'm speaking about the Vox article that talks about how these females only live to serve the plot of Sherlock,
1: and more specifically, the blogger was speaking in in terms of Moffitt and Gaddis. Yes. And how their writing always makes the woman the more disposable character who is always dependent on the male character.
0: Living to serve the man, in fact. He says his female characters are noticeably bizarre and interchangeable. There are multiple examples of this throughout the Moffat canon. Moffat-era Doctor Who gave us not one, not two, but three female companions, River, Amy, and Clara, for those of you who are familiar with Doctor Who, whose entire narrative arcs were characterized by their having fallen in love with the Doctor in childhood as impressionable young girls, who then live for the days when they meet him again. We see this in Sherlock, with Molly's terrible luck and love, such a joke to Moffat that he repeated the plot trope he used in Doctor Who. So just as the Doctor did to Billy Piper's Rose, Moffat dumped the slightly needy girlfriend by palming her off on a copy of the main character. In Molly's case, a boyfriend who looks, dresses, and acts like Sherlock's, and in Rose's case, a literal clone. In Sherlock, both Mary and Irene are arguably interchangeable, women who show up long enough to fall in love with and reflect important truths back to the heroes before conveniently exiting stage right.
1: I disagree.
0: Okay. I have to say, this is a criticism that I have long had of Doctor Who. I've said it since season one that he doesn't seem to have any respect to the Doctor or empathy for the female companions he takes along. Mm -hmm. That he brings them for the ride. He doesn't see how it's going to affect them. He dumps them later and it ruins them. And they're left with these male counterparts that are just completely ridiculous. Like, they'll never live up to Doctor Who. They're they're almost laughable. Mm -hmm. They're partners in real life. Right. And they're completely crushed. And like we said, the only way for somebody like Rose to get over that is to actually find a clone of the Doctor. It really bothered me there. I don't see that. I feel like he's making comparisons where maybe they aren't to Sherlock. I don't so no. much see that happening in Sherlock.
1: Well, but also, and I won't get too deep into this because we're going long, but I disagree with you on that. Well, f- for example, Rose, she liked her boyfriend, but something was missing, and that was what was pulling her away from her boyfriend. She, th- she, she liked him. She, she loved him, I guess, but she couldn't stand how needy he was, and she couldn't stand how... Uh, He lacked the confidence and all that. This clone, it's not even a clone, this same guy, but from a, a parallel universe, had all the positives from her current boyfriend, plus what he was lacking.
0: I agree with you there. The problem is every single female companion has almost that same story. She tries really hard to love her Earth boyfriend, but he's just not right, and she's sort of okay with it, but really not happy until she meets the doctor. And the doctor is the perfect man. And not only that, they're young, increasingly very young women that the doctor takes along, mostly, not all of them. But he is the perfect man. They're they're totally smitten. They want to spend the rest of their lives with him, and now after that, nobody is going to live up. And they are almost interchangeable. I mean, they each have their their kind of own things, their own personalities, but they're not independent women free of Doctor Who. They are Doctor Who's companion. They live to circle the orbit of him and serve his story.
1: A few of them were. Uh, I can't believe I'm forgetting her name. The older one wasn't.
0: Sort of, and, and that's what I mean. They do sort of have their own place, but c- bringing it back to Sherlock I don't feel that way. So, like, I feel that with Doctor Who.
1: Yeah. was an argument. I see
0: the woman here as being individual, Mm -hmm. totally not interchangeable. He's making the argument that Mary and Irene are arguably arguably interchangeable. Not at all. I don't see that at all. I do think in some ways they serve the plot of Sherlock because everyone does. That's how the story is written to be. It's called Sherlock. When we get their own storyline, I actually think Mary has been one of the most powerful, unique characters in the show that changed both Sherlock and Watson, and that's difficult to do. I think Mrs. Hudson
1: is powerful,
0: is changing them both every day, and she might do it in a quiet, subtle way, but her presence is definitely there. The only comparison I can see, it does come in with Molly and her falling in love with Sherlock and winding up with this guy that's a poor imitation of him. Yeah. But that's a trope that's used often, very often in many shows. We brought these comparisons back to House, and I see this a lot. Sherlock as being House, his faithful sidekick that everybody thinks is like the pushover guy being Wilson, being Watson, they even sound... Similar. yeah. Of course, you have the young Cameron who falls in love with House. He is the perfect guy for her, even though he's wrong and broken in so many ways. And this is like her thing to fix him and nobody's ever going to measure up to him. I mean, that's just something that makes for a good story. Now, whether or not that's saying something about female characters, I'm not sure. But it's something that works for a plot line. I think that's why they're putting it in, not to make commentary about female characters. And I think this introduction of Euros is going to prove to be a hell of a strong, unique female character on the show. That's just my guess. Well, I think that about sums it up for this very long episode, too. So, Jason, do you want to get into our rating?
1: Deerstalkers. I still hate that.
0: (laughs) I kind of like it. It's growing on me.
1: Our Deerstalker Deerstalker rating. Mine is 9.8.
0: is right out there. I
1: loved this episode so much to the fact that I'm a little concerned about this podcast because my brain was all over the place. (laughs) I know I forgot a bunch of shit that I wanted to say and I know I kept going backwards because I forgot things and but I I think I think we did well enough. Um, This was this is the Sherlock we know and love. Yes. This is the type of episode that made us like this BBC Sherlock version more than the Robbie D's version. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I have no complaints. I didn't think maybe it's not perfect. Nothing's perfect. Maybe it was a little heavy handed, but it was a great reveal. It was exciting. It was titillating. (laughs) Mary being there was perfect. I I hate when just a main character just is gone. So I think this was beautiful Mm. the way they did it. Miss Hudson was amazing. I felt like Mycroft kind of felt like an idiot in this one, but... That was kind of nice to see, though, too.
0: I totally agree with you. I had a very, very few minor things like the personality of Culverton and how does he get away with that. And as I mentioned, I would have loved to see him be the charming Mm -hmm. kind. Um, The final reveal with a little bit of the uncertainty, but overall, just amazing. I give it 9.5 deer stalkers, which is up a whole point from my 8.5 last episode.
1: Yeah, I was 8.8. To 9.8. Holy shit. We do not talk about this, people. I swear to you, we do not do this. No, and because
0: you steal my... No, don't
1: do it because I know you're going to steal mine. No, (laughs) because
0: you always go first every episode and it's so obvious this time. So I want it. Okay. And I'm going first. My most valuable sleuth is Mrs. Hudson. So take that. My most
1: valuable sleuth is Mrs. Hudson. (laughs) I hate you. And I'm not going to be clever and think of something very nice like you did last time. I'm sticking with Hudson, too.
0: Oh, well, that's cheap. What's your Fans, reasoning? Get on Jason because I had to pull Craig and Toby out of my ass. <laughs> you did, and it was last awesome. episode for MBS, and he has nothing.
1: Hudson. I got Hudson. What's your reasoning?
0: <laughs> well, in speaking of the strong female characters, I just think she's one that's in the background so often, and as you said, she got the chance to move into the spotlight in a mm-hmm. great way this episode, and just putting Mycroft in his place was
1: gold. She got the chance to race into the spotlight, and I want her to be my grandmother.
0: (laughs) Not your housekeeper.
1: No. She's got the backbone that they needed. No one had the backbone this episode. She was the backbone. She is witty. She is smart. She's charming. She's endearing. She's everything you would want.
0: Yes, but we're looking for most valuable sleuth, and that's why she even showed off her sleuthing abilities by showing how... Much she was able to see through Sherlock. Things that Mycroft himself couldn't even put together. And she managed to sort of outthink and subdue Sherlock. I mean, I know that was part of his plan, but I think she a little bit got the drop on him there. She
1: more than a little bit got the drop. How big was that gun? Holy shit. When she picked it up, you realize she had to hold it with two hands. That's a huge gun. Mm-hmm. Cannon. So, yeah.
0: And how about Miss Hudson Hallucination Mary pulling out the sleuthing abilities Absolutely. to John to figure out how Sherlock wound up at the therapist's office? I like
1: that. That was a good honorary. Keep in mind, though, it was Watson.
0: I know. That makes it all the better, though. Yeah. We forgot to mention the credit letters, of course, spelled out once more unto the breach.
1: I want to give a shout-out to at Yoda Claus. He was the one that tweeted us that Reddit page in regards to the gun, which made us dive deeper.
0: I also have to give a shout out to Fanatically Correct. I love their message where they left last week. Jason trying to defend Watson was great. Sorry, man. He isn't the perfect (laughs) guy. (laughs) I agree. They also say they're curious to find out what we will review next after Sherlock. I am too. I have to tell you, we were almost set on, we can finally reveal this, reviewing the new sci-fi show Not so new anymore, but it's called The Magicians. They are almost at their second season, which will starting
1: end of January. Start twenty fifth, I believe.
0: Right, the end of January. It was an amazing series. I feel like people might not know about it enough. Yeah. Um, If you have watched this, if you have any interest in hearing the review, please write in because we need to get enough buzz going about that in order for us to review it I don't want to miss it because I think it's perfect for you guys just the right mix of fantasy with a very very dark edge to it I can't actually believe that it's a sci-fi production it feels way more high value than that but I see it being a very niche kind of crowd so if you're into it please 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 write it tweet it do something to let us know if we don't get enough people on the bandwagon we'll have to find something else
1: And if there's something that you really want us to do, let us know that too. This is the scary part because we don't want to do a show and then have no one listen. And then we're just talking to ourselves. Yeah, well, We actually
0: even thought Sherlock would be bigger than it is. So Mm -hmm. if Sherlock is not that well-known, it makes me feel very insecure about a little-known show, The Magician. So the other thing we were playing with is Doctor Who, but there's probably some other options. So within the next week or so, please give us your thoughts.
1: I want to give a shout out to Chicago Christopher and PSVLV for leaving us an awesome review on our Sherlock channel. Thanks to you guys. Brand new channel. We're already ranked 49th on top of the charts. Now, we didn't expect to even get ranked because it's a three week channel. Mm-hmm. We didn't think that we'd have enough pull. Westworld, we got up to eight. No, Five. Uh,
0: on the on the overall search, however, when you search just Westworld, we held number two all season long, and currently, when you search Sherlock on iTunes,
1: we're number one. On number uno.
0: Number one. So yeah, that's incredible.
1: Yeah. So top of the charts, forty nine. Did not expect that. Thank you. And another quick shout out to our Patreon members. We got a bonus episode coming your way, and a movie podcast, which I believe we already divulged, but just in case we didn't. We're going to be watching
0: The Passengers. Last shout out to Sean in St. Louis for spreading the word to others about the podcast, because that's how this gets done. So thank you.
1: Thank you. we love to see that. And it makes all the hard work worth it. I got to be honest with you, Christina and myself are working on like two hours of sleep. (laughs) (laughs) So we're a little loopy right now, but I think if I edit it tomorrow, I can make it sound or at least make myself sound smarter. You still sounded good.
0: (laughs) Hopefully, this will be all right. We are really enjoying this Sherlock ride. We have one more episode to review. And then, of course, we will be doing our bonus episode to talk about all of Series 4. But next week, we'll be here for Episode 3, The Final Problem.
1: You know that uh, everyone sees 3 and stops looking? Mm -hmm. Some people are hypothesizing that there might be a fourth episode. I don't think so, because that's not a secret you could have, really, because of scheduling.
0: Well, you never know. I mean, but that, that would, would be, be fun. that would be
1: tremendous.
0: In this one, they say, every path you've ever taken is your memory of Euros. It's not a game anymore.
1: It's not a game. It, didn't this episode start off with it's not a game?
0: I think it did at some point. Yeah, um, it's not a game anymore. That's an amazingly dark foreshadow. I can't wait to see what happens. And to be back here for our review next time.
1: I can't wait to see how they're going to make someone seem smarter. Like, how do you make someone seem smarter than Minecraft?
0: Brilliant writing.
1: (laughs) Man, I had a blast. I hope you guys did too. Don't forget to rate and review. Follow us on Twitter at CKC Podcast. Check out our website. We got an awesome store. We got some fantastic gear there shirts, mugs, banana hammocks. Check them out. (laughs) Until next week, this round's on me. This round is on me.
0: Try again. Should maybe have this at the ready.
1: Energy, energy, energy. Fake it till you make it. Have the energy, even though today was the longest day in the world. It's my rap. Show was. Okay. Been up since five, worked out twice, finally ate some food, and now I overdid it. Shakespeare. All right. Ready? Yes. (coughs) Find your center. (laughs) I don't know what's wrong with me.